Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing? Welcome. To week five of our series, Words to the Wise, we are walking through the book of Proverbs. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're watching from any of our five locations throughout the state of New Jersey, what's up? We're glad you're here. And listen, if you've been following along with us doing our 31-day Proverbs challenge, reading one chapter of the book of Proverbs, you know, it's been an incredible time just kind of really uh, getting into God's Word and finding all these nuggets of wisdom that really kind of feeding our soul, really practical insights. And in our series, we looked at, we've looked at wise parenting, wise money, uh, wise communication in terms of relationships. We are going to wrap it all up today by talking about wise guidance, wise guidance. Really the question is, how do we get God's guidance in key areas of our lives when it comes with planning and decision making? And for many of us, maybe we rely on this guy to help kind of make our decisions. Have you used the Magic 8 Ball as a kid? Any Magic 8? Okay, a couple of you. Now, I, I remember using this thing as a kid thinking this thing is the coolest thing. Like, I remember it'd be like, you know, around Christmas time and I'd say, Magic 8 Ball, am I going to get a Sega Genesis for Christmas? And it would say, yes. And I was like, all right. And Christmas morning would come and under the tree would be a Sega Genesis. And I'm like, this thing's got power. Wonder working power, right? And so I'm excited about that. And then, you know, I get older and I start to ask more uh, uh, sophisticated questions like, Magic 8-Ball, will Kristen Moltner be my girlfriend if I ask her out? And it said, no. I was like, oh, okay, good to know. Should I try to kiss her anyway? All signs point to yes. All right. And I'd end up in the principal's office, right? <laughs> Today, I'd probably get expelled. But that's the thing, you know. And, and you know, the Magic Apple, or how about, maybe you did this. Did you ever play what I call Bible roulette? Bible roulette, where you're like, Lord Jesus, would you show me your will, God? I'm just going to go to your word. And then you, you take your finger, then whatever it said, that's what you do, right? Any of you did that? Any of you? Okay, okay. I, I, had, I had this moment where I, I just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. This is not how I find out God's will. Because it's like, all right, Lord, what's your will for my life? I want, I want you to answer the big question, God. Show me, show me. And I put my finger in, and it said Judas hung himself. <laughs> I was like, okay, hold on, hold on. I was trying to shake it like the able. Maybe, let me do this again. Okay, God, what is your will for my life? And I, I went and pointed and said, go and do likewise. Okay, well, <laughs> clearly this is not working. But when it comes to trying to figure out God's will, a lot of times the bigger question we need to ask is, what kind of God do we worship? Is the God that I worship like an eight ball that says yes, maybe, or no? Is that how I figure out God's will? Or is God like a fortune teller where if I go and do the things he wants me to do, he'll show me the right path. It's going to be pain-free and easy. It's going to get me to my dreams and my desires. Because the thing is, we need and want God's guidance in the gray areas of, lot of life, and especially when it's hard to find clarity. Clarity for such questions like, you know, who should I marry? Or, you know, should I buy this house? Or, should I go back to school? Should I take this job? Should I start a business? Should I take a risk or play it safe? These are all questions that, you know, there's no black and white Bible verse for. And so we kind of wrestle with it. And sometimes the answers are cloudy or convoluted. And we ask questions that like, you know, where should I live? Should I take this job or, or should I leave this job and start my dream job? Should I, should I go after the, you know, something that's bigger than me, right? Or well, what happens if I fail? 
What happens if I don't hear from God? What if I, what if I make a mistake and, and I mess up? Is everything sunk? And that's, that's an honest question that many of us have. In fact, a friend of mine, was telling me that, you know, he was in the midst of uh, taking this new job and his family had been praying about this and seeking God and they felt like God was telling them they needed to, to take this change. And so right a week before they're about to move, they had just sold their house. They found out that the job had been eliminated, gone. And, and his old job, they already had his replacement. And so now he feels stuck kind of in the middle going, what did I do? Where did I miss out on God? I, I thought I heard from him. How did I miss this? And see, so in those moments, we're kind of looking for the eight ball answer, God, what, what, what happened? When really what God is trying to do is take us to that next level in our faith, our next level in trusting him. You know, if, whenever you know, I'm looking at trying to make decisions, a verse that's always spoken to me, maybe to many of you, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And if you see something bold, go ahead and say that with me. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, one of the wisest men in the entire world, gives us three uh, keys to unlocking God's will. Three keys to help us discern what is God saying to us? Where is he leading us? How is he taking us in through the whole planning and decision-making process? We're going to look at those three keys today. Uh, and the first key we're going to look at is this, is that planning always involves paradox. Planning always involves paradox. Now, a paradox is two seemingly contradictory statements that somehow work together. For instance, you know, how, in the, how does quantum mechanics and Einstein's general theory of relativity work together? It's the information paradox, right? Or more, more commonly, there's jumbo shrimp, right? How, if a shrimp is small, how is it the size of my hand? You know, it's a paradox, right? We don't know how it all fits together, but somehow it fits, right? And when it comes to planning, decision-making, figuring out God's will, there's definitely a paradox in here. For instance, there's a paradox that we see in Proverbs 21, verse 5. It says this, The plans of the what? Diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. This word diligent in Hebrew means strategic. Strategic plans lead to profit. If we plan well and strategically, most often it's going to mean that things are going to go out. The outcome is going to be advantageous. The outcome is going to be what we want. So we plan and we, we, we apply our resources. We, we do our homework. In fact, this verse is basically telling us planning is good. Impulsive decision-making, haste, is not good. We need to have plans. We can't just keep winging our way through life. In fact, I know this is true in my life. Like when I was going to college, I, I planned for that. You know, I, I was saving money. I looked at schools. I was writing essays. I was filling out forms. There was a, an element of planning that was in part, a part of that. When I was getting married, you know, there was planning that there's planning for that too. I had to get engaged. I had to plan a wedding. I had to plan. Okay, where are we going to live? How are we going to make money? There, there were all these elements of planning that were involved with that. And not, not only that, you know, when it was, you know, even for ministry, when I felt like this call from God, like God, that God was leading me, there was a mystical aspect to it. There was a part that I couldn't quite understand, but there was planning involved. I had to figure out a school to go to. I had to get trained. I had to get equipped and I had to get a job. There's all these elements of planning because really God is a planner. Think about it. The way the heavens and the earth was made. This is, you know, we say that God has a plan for our lives. There's the element of God's character that involves planning. But there's another side to this tension that pulls at us and that God is sovereign. God is in complete control. There is nothing outside of his control. In our old Proverbs 16, 9, it says this. In his heart, a man, what? Plans his course. We have an idea of how we want our life to go and how we want it to look. We, we plan, we arrange. But the what? The Lord determines his steps. At the end of the day, God is in control. How does this all work? 
How, how does this work between planning and, and our all, our all decisions? And really, the truth of the matter is, it is all you and it is all God. It's all you and it's all God. So for, for some of us, we're kind of on the all you track. We're on that train, you know, and we're like, well, I've got to have a big, hairy, audacious goal and I've got to have a vision and I've got to set, set mini goals and I've got to strive and go faster, smarter and be more efficient and proficient and go, go, go. That's how I'm going to make things happen. It's more like, you know, God, I, I want a beach house. You've got to bless my plan, right? You've got to bless my plan. And, and oftentimes, you know, we kind of seek God as an afterthought because we want to be in control. Then there's the other side of the equation, which is all about, hey man, God's got this. It's all good, right? I don't, I, don't need to, I don't need to save up for a house. God's gonna give me a house in his perfect time, right? I don't need to date. God's gonna airdrop my, my perfect man or woman. I just gotta be like, yes, Lord, I'll receive, right? I don't need to get a job. God will provide, right? And this is even, you know, that kind of thinking clearly isn't, what God desires of us. And so there's these two extremes between, you know, uh, doing it's all us and it's all God. But the truth of the matter is it's both. And I, I know some of you are kind of in this place where, okay, I don't know where I really, really land on this. I'm a little bit more on the all God side. I'm on the all, it's, it's all me side. So here's what I want to do to kind of maybe uh, show us this. I want to kind of split the room in half here and you're going to be the all you half, okay? So you're going to shout to the other side of the room, it's all you, okay? Not yet, the count of three. And you guys, you're going to look back at them and say, no, all God. You, get, you all ready? Okay, let's try this. One, two, three. I have good news. You're both right. You're both right. It's all you and it's all God. I don't know how it all works together, but that's, that's kind of the, uh, the beauty of this paradox. Somewhere in there, your plans and God's plans kind of collide and all works together. In fact, I love how Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, renders Proverbs 16.9. He says this, We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. Only God makes us able to live it. You know, so often, you know, we get so caught up with our plans that we basically baptize them and, and make our plans God's plans that we often lose sight of him. And that's kind of where we can get in trouble. And in fact, it can actually be damaging. Just ask Phil Vischer. How many of you remember VeggieTales? Bob the Tomato, Larry the Cucumber, and all those other random vegetables. Yeah, a couple of you do. Your 20s or somethings are like, yeah, I was raised on that, yeah. VeggieTales was started by this guy, Phil Vischer. He had this idea, and this idea became this huge dream about how he wanted God to use him in some pretty big and significant ways. And eventually, Phil found out that he was moving faster than God. And it really wasn't God's dream. It was his dream, and it was all him making it happen. But he had to learn that it wasn't all about him. It was all you, and it's all God. Let's watch Phil's story. My name is Phil Vischer. I'm the founder of Big Idea Productions and the creator of Veggie Tales, the kids' uh, video series. When I was a kid, I started animating when I was about eight. Uh, when, by the time I was 14, I knew I was going to make films, and I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do for God and for the kingdom. I'm going to make movies. Once I got into that, my vision for that kind of expanded, and I thought, well, why would I just want to make films? Why not be the next Walt Disney? Why not? You know, and then I started reading business books that told me, well, you need a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's not enough to just make films. You need to set out a 20-year goal that's breathtaking in scope that will inspire your workers. Um, I ended up building the largest animation studio in between the coasts. It had 210 
people working uh, for me when I was about 30 and uh, was doing 40 million in sales in uh, DVDs, the most successful kids directed video project actually, I think ever. And then um, it all fell apart. Completely turned upside down, burst into flames, sank into bankruptcy. I was convinced all along that this is when God is gonna show up because my dream is so important to him. I had been miserable. You know, the bigger it got, the less I felt really equipped to, to know what I was doing. But also I realized as a Christian, I had made the work I was doing for God more important than my relationship with him. And this is where it gets tricky in business because we're told to plan. You know, we're told to make big plans and, and, and cast large visions. And, and we, we bring that into our spiritual lives sometimes and we confuse it with vision and dreams in the Bible. I discovered when I focused on outcomes, and unfortunately our culture teaches us to focus on outcomes. Where do you want to be in five years? How do you want to see the world different because of your work? Okay, that's focus on outcomes. Focus on outcomes leads to stress. If you can let go of outcomes, turn them over to God and focus on obedience. Say, God, what have you asked me to do today and am I doing it? You lose the stress. You know, and it's a whole different way. Life becomes about loving others, not about accomplishing objectives. And that's where you find the fruit of the Spirit. That's where you find your joy. See, what Phil learned was it's less about the outcomes. As, as important as we want the outcomes to be, when we surrender those things to God and we just focus on, God, what are you telling me to do today? What's the daily obedience you want me to live in and walk in and function in? The stress is gone and we can just... <sighs> Relax. I mean, how many of us are running ourselves ragged? We're burnt out. We are, uh, we've got nothing left, emotionally exhausted, trying to plan and make everything happen. And then at the end of the day, we realize, wait a minute, this is really my dream. It's not God's dream. And we're so caught up in the planning that we forget that God's the one that's really in control. So yeah, what's always, one of the things that Phil learned, and I'm still learning, is we need to, to plan as if it all depends on us and then pray as if it all depends on God. We got to plan and do all of our homework and to get our resources lined and do all those things that we're supposed to do on our part. But then at the end of the day, we know and we've released the outcomes to God because we pray as if it all depends on him. Because at the end of the day, it does, right? What does Proverbs 16, 9 said? It says, the plan, the heart, in the, his heart, a man plans his course. We make plans. We do the best we can. And this is where the tension is. But the Lord determines our steps. This is the first key. If we can understand that planning involves paradox, that, yeah, it's all you, all your work, all your resources, putting your time and your energy and your effort in, but then also understand it's all God, we can simply relax. We do what's on our end. We plan as well as we can based on as much knowledge as we can, but then at the end of the day, God is the one who determines what our next step is. Now let's take a look at the second key to unlock kind of the, the God's will for us, and that's this, is that God blesses disciples, not decisions. God blesses disciples, not decisions. See, when it's all about trying to get the answer, it's all about the eight ball, right? We're, we're trying to shake and say, God, give me your will. You got to tell me what, what I'm supposed to do in my career or in my marriage or, or what, what am I supposed to do? But when we are simply realizing, you know, God is less concerned about the decision you make and the type of person you're becoming, there's a sense where it's freeing in the sense that we can rely on him. But, you know, in our culture, it really is all about the decision, right? We, we kind of worry about that. Take the example of, you know, trying to find the one, right? 
We're trying to find the one person that's perfect for us, right? And it causes all sorts of relational anxiety. I mean, how many of you watched The, the Bachelorette? You know, have you seen the premiere? The, a couple of you? Okay, come on, guys. You can admit it. I won't tell. I won't tell. Grace wins, right? So JoJo, who's the current Bachelorette, you know, in the season premiere, so we're like, how does he know? I just, I just do. I'm a student of culture. But, you know, JoJo is, is, is uh, you know, one of the things that's on her mind is, how do I know I'm going to pick the right one? How, how do I know I'm going to get the right guy? Who's going to be my soulmate? And in fact, the whole show, the whole series of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is all designed around this relational anxiety, isn't it? Trying to find the right person. But let's just think this through, right? Imagine if a couple of us, we don't marry the right person, right? We're all messed up then, right? Think about it. If, if, if you marry, you know, my soulmate and then I marry someone else's soulmate, then we, we've all married the wrong person, right? We're all done, right? Is that how God's will work? We, we know, no, God's will is not this narrow dot that, it, that we kind of have to hit direct on. There's more to that because God, again, is more about blessing his disciples than the decisions that we make. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says this. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own what? Understanding. The Hebrew word for understanding here is the idea of facts and figures. We get all of the information that we can perceive, everything that we can understand. We gather all of that together. We bring it all together. And once we have it together, that's when we make the decision based on our best understanding and knowledge. The reason why it says lean not on your own understanding is because there's so much we don't know. There's so much about the decisions we make, even if it's the best decision we could possibly make, there's all these other variables and factors that we are not aware of. And so that's why the rest of the proverb says this, in all your ways, what? Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now this word acknowledge isn't, what's up God, making this decision. It's not like a, hey, you're not giving a nod to God. The word acknowledge in Hebrew actually means to know. It's this deep and intimate kind of knowing, the knowing that that two married people might have, right? Very close, very, I know all about you. I can see your soul and you can see mine. See, in all of our decisions, God wants you to know him. When God said he wants to bless his disciples, he wants to bless you with the intimate knowledge of who God is. When you know him and you know his ways, his will starts to unfold a lot more easily. And this is reinforced, amplified in Proverbs, I think it's 11 verse 3. It says this, 16.3, I lied. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. This word commit's interesting. It's this idea of rolling onto God, rolling onto onto Jesus. So this idea that, you know, God, if I roll my plans onto you, if I roll my trust onto you, if I, if I roll it all onto you, God, I'm just going to focus on you, not the decision. So it's less about the eight ball, but it's more about knowing the king of God, the king, king of the world. It's more about knowing Jesus. See, there's something about as we get to know God, a lot of those decisions that we're stressing out about have a way of kind of of making themselves, it has a way of working itself out. Because God is really, in the end, trying to transform you rather than your decision. And, And you see, through putting our trust in him and acknowledging him and knowing him, it changes us so that we can be the kind of people that can be guided by God and his spirit. It says in Proverbs 11, verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. See, God wants to make you a man or a woman of integrity. What that means is that you're the kind of person that when people look at you, you are that person all the time. There's, you're a whole person. And so when we come with this understanding of, of, of acknowledging God, knowing you know, we start with humility, we don't have all the answers, but we have to trust God with, with the things that we don't know. 
when we roll over our trust to him, no matter what decisions we make, we know that we can trust God because he's going to lead it and he's going to guide us. When we know and, and understand that he's really concerned more about our character than the specific decisions we're going to make, he transforms us into the kind of people that can be guided. Which brings up this question, how many of us are more passionate about knowing God more? Are we more passionate about getting the decision that we need? I mean, part of it is it's, it's cultural, right? We're Americans. We want the bottom line. What's the answer? I need something pragmatic. I need to move on. But God is saying, is taking us to that next level of asking, who do you want to become? Do you just want the answer, or do you want to become a man or a woman that knows God deeply and intimately, that you have a way of just kind of knowing his will and knowing his ways? Because I really think that there's, there's sort of this idea that, you know, if we follow God, if we ask God for, for the decision, he's just going to give it to us. But a lot of times, God's more concerned about our character, so sometimes he does the very opposite of what he asks us for or what we've asked him to do. You know, we ask God for, for one thing, and he does the opposite, kind of like Phil Vischer. Things crash and burn. We kind of wonder, God, what are you trying to do? He's trying to transform your character. See, one of the myths about God's will kind of works like this. And like with every myth, there's a little bit of truth mixed in. The first part of it is God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He has control over all things. That's absolutely true. The next part of that is, well, God wants to lead me into his perfect will. That also is true. But this is when things start to get a little screwy. We start to think, so if I line my life up right with God's perfect will, that means I'm going to avoid suffering. I'm going to avoid stress and pain. It's all going to go great because I'm aligned to God's perfect will. But then here's what happens. We experience suffering. We experience pain and disappointment. We kind of wonder, did I miss God's will? What happened here, God? Why didn't you meet me here? And, and maybe you're like Phil Vischer, and you're like, why did my business crash and burn? I mean, my, my intentions were good, right? I mean, Phil's intentions were he wanted to start a company that would offset some of the garbage that was coming out of Hollywood. You know, he wanted to, you know, provide, you know, raise up the next generation with good quality Christian kids programming, right? Isn't that God's will? Isn't that what God wants? Well, what Phil Vischer had to find out was that was more his will than God's will. And so when he experienced that disappointment, it's because he had really taken his own ambition and his own desire and fueled that. But, you know, when we look at Scripture, we see all these examples of men and women who are in the center of God's will, but experienced pain, suffering, confusion, and doubt. Like in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, look at the life of Joseph, right? Joseph, you know, God's ultimate plan for him is that he was going to save an entire generation from famine. He was going to be the second highest ruling official in Egypt. And what happened with him? He was sold to slavery, into slavery by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was falsely accused, thrown into jail, forgotten about for, for years. Over, over a decade of his life was spent in darkness and in prison. But yet God but he was in the middle of God's will. He was in God's perfect will. Or the Apostle Paul. He was the guy that was going to take God's story, the story of Jesus, to all the nations, to all the non-Jews in the entire world. And what did he experience? He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by poisonous snakes. He was put in prison. Eventually, he was beheaded in God's perfect will. Because sometimes, whether we like it or not, in his heart, a man determines his plans or, plan, or guides or has his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And whether we like it or not, and some of you, you've experienced this yourself, sometimes the steps that God determines for us involve walking into suffering, walking into pain, because God cares more about your character than your comfort. This is one of the lessons that Joanna Gaines was learning. Um, Joanna Gaines is the star of the show The Fixer Upper. Her and her husband, Chip, 
are on that show, and they're both Christ followers. And Joanna was sharing a time when she was trying to discern God's will, and part of that meant for her what seemed to be a death of a dream. But yet God was in the midst of it, weaving his story into her story at pivotal moments, kind of taking her to that next level of where God was calling her to, to, to go. Let's watch. You know, as we all do, I grew up and I grew out of the insecurities, had great friends, great childhood. And I remember in those times, I, I heard him specifically say, you know, Joanna, I have a calling for you. You're gonna have a platform one day. And I remember thinking, what does that even mean? And I remember hearing God say, Joanna, there's gonna come a time where I'm gonna say for you to go and I'm gonna need you to step out and go. We opened Magnolia Market together and I loved it, you know, but at that time I was also pregnant with my second child and I really felt like God was saying, hey, I want you home. I want you raising these babies at home at this age. And I remember the last day, you know, we're closing the shop down and I'm crying because again, I feel like it's the end of a dream. And I hear God say very clearly, he said, Joanna, if you trust me with your dreams, I'm going to take Magnolia further than you could have ever dreamed. So just trust me. And I remember hearing that and feeling completely peaceful about it, and I walked away. May of last year, we reopened the shop on Bosky, the little shop on Bosky. And now I look back and I go, God, your promise that you spoke years ago, I'm now seeing. Um, I trusted you with my dream, and you've taken it far beyond what I could have ever dreamed or imagined. You know, I can look back now in the pattern of my life and, and really believe God has a purpose for me, but He also has a purpose for you. And on the other side of that is the enemy where he knows, he knows where to hit. He knows to hit below the belt. He's going to have that fear be if you fail. And what if you fail in front of all these people? What if you fail and don't find someone in that lunchroom? What if your business fails? Whether it's you're staying home with your children and you're raising beautiful babies or you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar company, let God speak into your life. Let His Father heart come and say, this is what I have for you. And I think that's the key, not believing the lies, fixing our eyes on Jesus and walking in that truth. Fixing your eyes on Jesus and walking in the truth. For Joanna, that meant that she had to shut down a business that she loved. She said, this is God's dream. Why would God be telling me to close this down? But it's because God's purposes are bigger than us, they're more eternal, and they're further than we could even see ourselves. See, oftentimes, as we're trying to discern what God's purpose is, we're looking for the eight-ball answer. We're looking for yes, no, or maybe. But what God is simply saying is, will you choose trust over an answer? Will you choose to follow me for that next step, whether you know where that is or not? When the enemy may be speaking into your life things that are uh, about failure, about fear, will you trust and have faith instead? See, there's a battle for the will of God. There's a battle to move forward. And sometimes it battles with ourselves, it's with our enemy, it's people that are maybe speaking negatively in our lives. But that's when we need to decide and remember that God is blessing you as a disciple. Blessing doesn't always mean that things are going to go great, but you are going to have a character that's fireproof. A character that can go through anything and still stand the test. God blesses disciples, not decisions. Decisions end up being the outcrop of following hard after God putting him first. I want to look at the third key to unlock God's will for our lives from the book of Proverbs. We looked at how paradox involves planning. We've looked at how God blesses disciples, not decision. The third key we're going to look at is this, is to ask others. 
to ask others, right? You know, Proverbs 15.22 says this, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with, say this with me, many advisors, they succeed. Real quick, how many of you could list off the bat the people that speak into your life? People that, you know, when you're making decisions or that you've allowed to basically come and speak to you and kind of talk through you, talk with things with you and sow those things in your lives. You see, we need godly counselors to speak truth to us, to kind of help us see maybe things that we don't see about ourselves or, or that are blind spots. We need those people in our lives. Otherwise, we can miss what God wants to do. And there's four types of people uh, that I like to, like to have around me when I'm making big decisions like that. And one group is the sage. The sage. This is someone who's wise, someone who's maybe further ahead of you in life, 15, 10, 20 years further down the road. Maybe it's in parenting. Maybe it's in spirituality. Maybe it's even in your career. But you kind of look where they are and go, man, I really want to get there one day. And they have a wealth of experience to offer you about what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, where they've failed, where they've succeeded. And they're a great resource for you if you have those type of people in your life. For me, I have a guy in my life, his name's Ron Walborn. He is my Obi-Wan Kenobi and my Yoda, all rolled into one. Um, but he is the dean of Alliance Theological Seminary. If you guys remember, he was here back in January. Uh, but, you know, I knew him when he was a lowly college professor, and he was mentoring me. I would meet with him um, every couple of weeks. We'd kind of talk through life. And I remember specifically there was a time where um, I was dating this girl and wondering what the next step was. Do we get married? Uh, what does that look like? And I remember Ron, because, you know, I talked to him about it. We'd pray through about it. And one of the things he told me was, and it was really tough. I didn't want to hear it at the time. He said, you're not ready to get married yet. And she's probably not the person you're going to marry. Which is, of course, what I wanted to hear, right? But I was like, what do I do with that? And looking back, I'm really glad he spoke those hard words to me. Because it wasn't what I wanted to hear. But in fact, it was what I needed to hear. And actually, you know, redirected a lot of the course of my life and some of the changes there. In fact, many years later, when I did meet my wife, I was really, really grateful for that. Because you know what? It was good counsel based on years of experience and knowing me, being in that stage of life at that one point, he was able to speak into that. We need wise, sage-like people in our lives that can speak those things to us. And not only do we need those people, we also need godly friends in our life. People that maybe they're in the same, same age and stage and phase of life, but they know God. So this isn't like your drinking buddies, you know, or your friends at the gym. They can give you advice for other things. But when it comes to godly planning and decision-making, you need people that know God. They can, they can almost be like a mirror to you. That you, they can hold you, you can hold them up to yourself. They can see the things about you that maybe you're missing that you don't see. And for me, a good friend of mine, his name is Joe, has always been like that for me. So just for the record, this is Joe and Nathan. It's not Harold and Kumar, okay? Uh, although we do like going to White Castle. Um, don't watch that movie. It's not good for the soul. But... Joe has known me for, for years. I mean, we've worked together. He has seen the good. He's seen the bad. He's seen the ugly. He, he has seen the whole gamut uh, of Nithin, right? And so when we talk and we ask for advice, I mean, it's, we can be pretty honest to, with one another. We're not offended easily by that. In fact, I remember years ago when I was dating my wife, Jackie, at the time, and I, and I needed some advice. I'm like, hey, do we get married? You know, she lives in Boston. I live in New Jersey. I was looking at making the move to Boston, but really not sure. And I would talk to Joe, and we'd be praying about it. And, and one day, I think Joe said something along these lines. He said, you know, Nithin, when you start asking the question, is this someone that you want to spend the rest of your life serving? rather than what can she do for you, then you're probably a step closer to getting ready to get married. And, you know, he'd been married for maybe about a year or two at that point. And I just remember really that that, that really resonated with me. 
Because at the time, I was like, I, I kinda, I'm like 80% sure that Jackie's the right one, but, you know, there's that other 20%. When's God going to confirm that? Here's what I've learned. Oftentimes, God won't confirm 100% certainty. And the reason is, he wants you to take a step of faith. 80% is pretty good. You take a step out in that. And that advice that Joe gave me was what I needed to take that step of faith and take that step to the next level of my relationship with my wife, which I'm really grateful for because out of all my godly counselors, she has been the most precious to me. My wife, Jackie, is phenomenal. I mean, she is awesome. In fact, uh, she's always speaking truth to me, and she's got a way of doing it where it's really, it, just, it just goes right to my heart. In fact, a, a couple weeks ago, you know, we're out to dinner, and we ran into this guy, and um, I'm just going to be honest with you folks. Can we, can we be honest here? Okay, good. Don't tell anybody. But... I just did not like this dude. I was just like, he's rubbing me the wrong way. I do not want to talk to him. I'm like, I need to get out of this conversation. My wife, meanwhile, is watching this all happen. She's not trying to get me out of this. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, you know, I need to get out of here. This guy's driving me crazy. You know, I'm, I'm a pastor thinking and feeling all these things, right? So finally, you know, the conversation ends and I go over to her and, and she's like, he rubbed you the wrong way, didn't he? Well, yeah, <laughs> you can see it. You know, why didn't you rescue me? And she's like, well, you need to be in those situations with, with guys like that because you need to decide to love them, not avoid them. Because, you know, what you do really well, Nathan, is you love people, whether, whether they're difficult or not. And when you choose not to, you're not being your best self. I was like, oh, my, my wife sounds like the Holy Spirit. How does she, how does she do that? But there's so much truth to that. And she had a way of speaking hard truth in a way where on the one hand, it confronted my bad behavior, but it also elevated who I truly was in Christ. And she does it so well and does it so skillfully and does it so often that it is a huge blessing to me. I'm so grateful that she's my wife. But these are the people in my life that give me godly counsel. So for you, who's the sage in your life? Who are your godly peers that can speak into you, right? And for some of you, you think, oh, I have a life group that does that. And if you're in a life group, that's a great, that's one of the things that they can function for. They can, they can be that mirror to you to help you see the things about yourself that maybe you don't see. But, you know, another kind of uh, source of advice that sometimes goes overlooked is your parents. Use your parents, you know. And when we look at the book of Proverbs, it's actually interesting. The Proverbs is actually written from the perspective of a parent to a child. It says this in Proverbs, I think it's chapter 1. It says this, listen, my son to your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teachings. See, Proverbs is, is, is written from a parent to a child perspective. Let me give you the best of the, what I've learned and what I've gleaned from life. Let me pass that on to you. So whether your parents are believers or not, there's a lot of wisdom they can pass on to you about life from their perspective. They can, they can pass things on you. They've known you. They've seen you. They, they know the kind of context that you've grown up in. They've got some good advice to give you. And in fact, Scripture talks about honoring your parents. You know how you can honor them? By listening to them, asking for their counsel, asking for their advice. In fact, I remember, you know, years ago when I was trying to figure out grad school, I mean, should I go, should I not go? At the time, I was like, how am I going to pay for it? I was talking to my mom about this. I was like, you know, mom, I, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I think I just need to pay as I go, and some semesters I'm just going to have to skip because I just won't be able to afford it. And, you know, she looked at me and said, I really feel like God wants you to finish, and you might need to just take the risk and, and actually just go and full, go full-time. I remember telling my mom, you know, but mom, I can't afford that. You know, I don't want to get, you know, loaded down with student loans and student debt. And what she said to me is, you know what? I want to pay for your grad school. Thank you for taking the risk of inviting me into that process. I want, here's how I want to bless you. I was speechless. I was like, what? 
And it was, it was such an incredible gift that she wanted to invest in my life and my ministry. And your parents, you don't know what God is going to say and do through them. I want to encourage you, even if they're not believers, and even if, you know, obviously there's always going to be some issues with your parents, but the very aspect of asking them can be a powerful way to honor them. But ultimately, the one who leads us and guides us is the Holy Spirit. We need to ask the Spirit of God to give us guidance. In Proverbs chapter 1, 20 to 21, it kind of personifies the Holy Spirit through wisdom. It says this, wisdom calls aloud in the, say this with me, street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the noise, at the head of the noisy street, she cries out in the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. See, really, the Spirit of God is God's presence on earth. God's presence in the streets, in the public squares, in the gateways of the city. God's Spirit is leading you, guiding you. He's convicting you of sin. He's filling you, baptizing you. He's giving you his gifts so that you can go and fulfill your purposes on earth. That's what the Spirit of God does. He leads and guides us. And his primary way of leading and guiding is the scriptures. God's will, God's will will never contradict God's word. If you want to know God's will for your life, get to know his word more. You're doing the, 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 the Proverbs challenge, the 31-day Proverbs challenge. That's a phenomenal way to begin getting to know God's will for your life by getting to know his word. The more you know his word, the more you can filter out whether it's God's voice or indigestion, right? The more you know God's word, you can filter out, okay, is this of God or is this me? Is this of God or is this demonic? Is this of God or just my imagination? The more you know God's word, it is a divine filter that helps you figure out whether it's of God or your own imagination. See, the Spirit of God, I do believe, leads us in personal ways, whether it's through visions and dreams, whether it's through, uh, you know, inner impressions or, or, or words or other people or circumstances or God's creation, but it never contradicts the written Word of God. We need to be led by the Spirit, but to be led by the Spirit, I'm going to be really honest with you, it involves risk. It means you're going to step out and you're not going to, and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to step out, and you're going to mess up. And there's a place where God, again, he wants to form your character. Or will you trust him? Because as you do this process, you learn to hear his voice. You learn to trust him. But it's a process, not a one-stop shop. You know, it's very similar to Apple, Apple Computer's philosophy on their products. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but with Apple, you know, even if you're not an Apple person, this still fits, right? But you buy an Apple product, and they do their best to be flawless. It looks, I mean, they, their stuff looks nice. It looks really good. It's tight. It's solid. And that's what there is. You know, they want their products to be excellent, as, as par, far, as high as the bar they can, they can raise. But R&D is a different story. R&D, they want lots of mistakes, there are lot, there, there's lots of bugs in the system. Why? As they figure out the mistakes, as they debug the system, what happens is they're getting one step closer to making the system flawless. In the same way, the only way you're going to know the voice of God, the only way you're going to really understand and know his will is you've got to take a step of faith, a step of risk, and move. Make a decision. Will you make a mistake? Sometimes you will. But God has this amazing way of taking our mistakes and our failures and weaving them together in a redemptive way. God will redeem your mistakes, amen? God will redeem your failures, amen? So you make a decision. When you make that decision, when you make that choice, it's a way of saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take that next step. And it's not always easy. But you see, God wants to move you beyond an eight-ball faith where you're just saying, God, 
Yes, maybe or no? Is the outlook clear or not? He actually wants to grow you so that you can live in the tension of Proverbs 16.9, which says this. Say this with me. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You see, here's what's so amazing about this. We live in that tension. And in that tension, we understand that, you know, in our hearts, we plan. We have ideas. We dream. We, we, we kind of put some things together. We arrange things. But God determines the steps so we can relax. And ultimately, God's goals, God's ultimate purposes are eternal, and they always come to being. And if you wonder what those purposes are, look at Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, whatever you're going through, the ultimate end goal is that God wants to prosper you. Maybe not materially, but he wants to prosper you in a prosperous life. He, he wants to give you hope. He wants to give you a future. That's where God ultimately wants you to end up. That's God's will for your life. There, we figured it out. No more problems, right? That's God's will, your character, that you be transformed into his image. Because remember, God is sovereign, which means he's in control of all things. He's working all things out for his ultimate purposes, which in the end are for our own good. And so we may spend so much time worrying and getting anxious, like, you know, God, what's going to happen here? Or what job should I get? And, you know, who should I marry? And those are all important questions. But really, at the end of the day, what God is more concerned about is the type of person that you're going to become. Is the God that I worship like an eight ball that says yes, maybe, or no? Or is he the sovereign of the universe that says, surrender your plans to me, and I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I'll be with you, and I'll transform you? You see, when it comes to God's will, there's really no easy answers. But he gives us keys. Today we looked at three keys. Planning always involves paradox, right? It's all you and all God. It's both. We plan as if it all depends on us, but we pray as if it all depends on God. We also looked at the second key is that God blesses disciples, not decisions. God wants to form your character. God wants to form you into his image. And we don't always like that. It's not always comfortable. But at the end, we become people of substance and faith. And finally, the third key is to ask others. Ask the sage, wise people in your life. Ask godly friends and family members. Go ask your parents and eventually get to asking the Holy Spirit. Let him lead you and guide you into all truth. Because really, what we're talking about here is taking our will and submitting it to God's will. And that's one of the reasons why we do communion. Because it's to remember that we're submitting our will to God's will. And we really are examples in Jesus. Remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed? He's with his closest friends. And he's with them. And he takes the bread and he says, This is my body, broken for you. Every time you get together, remember me. Remember me and what I've done for you. Every time you take this. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood that's shed for the new covenant or the new deal, the new way of God interacting with man. Every time you gather together and you have the bread and the wine, remember what I've done for you. And what Jesus did for us in a couple hours from that moment, he was in a garden and he was before God and saying, God, I, 
your will is too hard. The pain is too much. I, I can't handle this. But God, not my will, but your will. Not my plans, God, but your plans. Not my goals, God, but your goals, God. And so when we come to the table, the Lord's Supper here, it's a a chance for us to say, God, not my plans, but your plans. Not my will, but your will. I submit my plans and my dreams to you, God. Whatever the outcome, Because remember, Jesus followed God's plan and it led to betrayal, beatings, his murder, his crucifixion, and death. And often when we follow God, we'll be taking our cross upon ourselves as well and we experience pain and suffering and disappointment in this life. But remember, after death comes resurrection. And we can only experience resurrection after death. Let me pray for us. Spirit of God, I just want to invite you to come right now. Would you manifest yourself here? Father, I just want to break off any attacks of the enemy, any words of condemnation, and ask that you'd fill us with words to the wise. Father, any kind of self-talk that we speak against ourselves, I, I just ask you, God, to to reroute it, Lord, and let the scriptures be the words that speak to us, that the plans you have for us are to prosper us, to not harm us, to give us a hope and a future, that suffering is not the last word, but resurrection is the last word in our lives. And as we come forward to take the bread and the cup, we just want to submit to you, God, that it's your will, not ours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.